0: Mind Whisper. I'm your host, Michael Gordon. It is Tuesday, April the 23rd, 2013. Welcome to the program today. We have a very hot topic talking about conflict in relationships. Something that many of us, who are in relationship, or have been in relationship, or want to be in relationship, and, uh, contend with on a daily basis, and it causes a lot of confusion and uh, uncertainty. So we're going to very shortly dive into that topic and explore that. That issue, uh, but I just want to welcome you to the program to begin with. For those of you who are listening in for the first time, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you uh, here, and we are a call-in show, so you can call in any time um, if you're listening live at area code 347-945-7891. That's area code 347-945-7891. And uh, you can also join the chat forum and post questions there or comments. And uh, we always uh, enjoy your participation and helps the show uh, be more interactive. And uh, if you're listening to the Archive Program, welcome and thank you for tuning in. uh, Or through uh, iTunes, Uh, the the show is uh, available on iTunes for download, for free podcast download. And uh, we have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. So we appreciate all your support as we come up on 4,000 listens on the show now and uh, increasing our listenership. Alright, so let's get right into the topic at hand today, and we're talking about conflict in relationships. You know, a lot of what we experience in relationships stems from, you know, the myths that we have about, you know, from our parents or from the popular culture about romantic relationships and, and or any kind of relationships and how they are meant to be or what we were presented with in a in a mythological sense or a popular culture sense, that somehow you just find the perfect person and it should just flow easily and and uh, it's all Snow White and Prince Charming. Well, so that would be wonderful if uh, relationships progress that way so easily. But what we find is that uh, statistically speaking, you know, marriage is an indicator of conjugal relationships, and the rate is between fifty and sixty percent divorce. And that tells us a lot about what's going on uh, in how people choose relationships and why relationships uh, end so quickly. Of course, the availability to divorce in the Western world, um, you know, enables people to get out of a relationship that may be dysfunctional or toxic. So that's you know, there's nothing, there's no argument there. Um, and some people would argue that marriage has become too frivolous and too easy, or divorce perhaps. But regardless, we want to look at the dynamics of relationship and what happens uh in terms of conflict and, and why those relationships are for the most for the majority ending before that they are uh lasting as secure relationships. So without uh, picking apart Hollywood or you know fairy tale romance, um, you know, we, we're all very familiar with those stories. I want to look at the reality of what happens. And what I'm gonna speak to today is without getting into too much theoretical uh you, background, or construct, is the idea of attachment theory, and attachment theory is something that was developed in psychology uh, by observing um, infants and toddlers and what their behavioral adaptations were according to the environment and the parenting style present, and then tracking um, those changes and observing that those adaptations in early childhood later on to adult styles of, uh, relational, uh, attachment. In other words, how we're loved or not loved and cared for, or how we're nurtured or not nurtured early on, significantly determines our individual way of relating to other people, and particularly when it comes to relationships. So, broadly speaking, these fall into two categories, secure attachment and insecure attachments. So you have to bear with me here if I'm being general, for those of you who, who have any background in psychology. Um, so children who grew up with a parent that's attentive, not intrusive, um, you know, nurturing, present in the environment, not, but without being uh, overly doting or overly fixated on the child, allowing the child to feel secure in their environment and to develop um, a healthy attachment, and, and then of course a healthy sense of self, and able to explore that healthy sense of self with others later on. Um, so this is what we call secure attachment. And it's all about facilitating, or creating a nurturing environment, a safe environment in which we can grow up and learn to um, have appropriate boundaries. And I don't mean boundaries is not like stopping people, but boundaries is in the sense of a a permeable barrier. If you think of clothing that allows that's breathable, but that's moisture resistant, and so we don't confuse our core identity with with others. And when we have what's called insecure attachment, we're left uh we we've developed in, in on a very um core level right in our wiring. It, you know, this is about neural pathways and how our actual neural pathways develop and grow as our brains are developing around these uh responses or lack of nurturing early on really uh fix a a style of of um Processing information and how we relate to others and our emotional responses. So, with insecure attachment, that's when the parents are perhaps um, kind of, you know, what we call avoidant or, um, or maybe um, disinterested or maybe anxious and doting, you know, kind of neurotic parenting or what we call narcissistic parenting. They may be disinterested, and and, and then the worst, of course, is very traumatic uh, childhoods where you have abusive parenting very erratic or very um, disciplinarian or harsh or cruel parenting. So these all lead to different styles of infant attachment or child attachment. And so, you know, people are very aware of common terms, you know, abandonment issues, these kind of things. Well, these are where they stem from, that you're wired in to believe love is not possible or you're going to be left or um, that love is not a secure thing. So this can wreak havoc in our adult lives with our relationships, because without knowing it, we may be triggered into these kind of uh, child, childhood wounds and responses. So why is this so important to understand? Well, the, again, the prevailing myth is that you find the perfect person and you just mesh perfectly, and things should never be a problem. And for people who have had very secure uh, attachment in their childhood and 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 a and a consistent nurturing environment in which their parents stayed together and modeled that kind of compatible relationship, and maybe they had issues, but they worked out and they saw this all in a healthy uh manner, then perhaps that is a lot more available to them and For the general populace, you know people the stats are about sixty percent secure attachment it doesn't mean they're without issues; it just means that it's that's not a predominant issue in terms of coupling or getting together but for a lot of other people. Uh, this becomes very problematic because um the issues of intimacy and trust and commitment um are predetermined by your your internal level of uh belief and security within yourself about what relationships are what's possible and so if those issues are in our in you know have, operating internally on in an unconscious level what we tend to do is project those unfulfilled needs of childhood onto our partner. So in the dating process, for example, we're looking for that idealized version that we never got. There's that kind of generalizing of childhood where the child is still looking for that unconditional love, looking for that secure parenting. And so we can scan the dating pool and look for what we need as opposed to being very scrutinizing and seeing what's in front of us. So that's the first danger Is that we set ourselves up to kind of choose a fantasy and we see what we want to see problem is in that initial phase of relationship um, there's a lot of drugs going off in your brain and your body uh, primarily dopamine which is the pleasure um, response drug or seeking drug in our brains that goes with pleasure responses and reward and and it, it signals us that this is a good thing that we're receiving now there may be something positive in that you know we know that uh, the person makes us feel good and that we enjoy our, their company. But that isn't necessarily a, uh, a means by which you can screen somebody as a potential mate and how they're, how they're going to um, be compatible for you later on in the relationship. So we, we uh, are looking for the version of love that maybe we didn't get in our childhood. And we get excited about somebody we meet and then all of a sudden six months or a year into the relationship, we find ourselves in dire conflict with this person. And perhaps it happens early on. And typically what people say is, oh, well, we're fighting. There shouldn't there shouldn't be conflict. We should be getting along. This is too hard. It's too difficult. Well, that's either a signal that you've got uh, relational issues that uh, you need to work out and you need to find somebody that you're going to be able to be in a, in a relationship that's going to facilitate that kind of understanding and help you heal those things, and where they're going to be able to um, meet you halfway with whatever issues they have, or help you through it. Um, Or it's going to mean that um, you're going to end up unconsciously picking someone who's going to trigger you, and you're just going to re-enact those childhood uh, conflicts and and insecurities and, and, and lack. And so this is a very critical moment of any relationship, is to recognize that conflict per se is not inherently wrong, but it signals something. It signals something that perhaps you are not making a conscious choice, perhaps you're not consciously aware of how you're being triggered or your partner's being triggered, and perhaps there's something coming to the surface about the dynamic that is familiar. So understanding your own attachment style and your partner's attachment style really gives you something uh, to come back to as a reference point to understand the dynamics, rather than being personalizing or, or attacking the other person or feeling attacked by the other person, that you can see that these are dynamics that are pl- at play based on uh, attachment style. Um, There's a terrific book if you want to learn more about this and understand very specifically what's going on in the brain and what's going on emotionally and psychologically in this process by an author named Stanley Tatkin, T-A-T-K-I-N, and it's called Wired for Love. I'll just give you the full title here. And he talks about the neurochemical processes that go on the brain, um, what happens during conflict and and, and bonding. Um, The full title is How Understanding Your Partner's Brain and and Attachment Style Can Help You Diffuse Conflict and Build a Secure Relationship. So you can see even in the title of his book, Conflict itself is not a signal, oh, we're not compatible, we shouldn't be together. Compatibility is a very complicated topic, and it really comes down to, first of all, identifying um, what are your inherent needs. Some of those may be based on having had an insecure attachment in your childhood, and needing someone that you feel safe with, that you feel can talk about the issues, or somebody who's going to Really, be committed to you or whatever it is, so identifying those needs based on your own self awareness and uh and then going out and looking for a partner based on those criteria um, so that book is a terrific resource um, again, if you find yourself in relationship and you know fighting a lot, those kind of power struggles in relationship. Um, this can really help you understand what's happening and to work with each other. It may not be a compatibility issue in terms of your values or you know, the bigger, broader strokes of relationship that really speak to compatibility. You know, values is a very, very, very important area. It really can be the deal breaker in relationship. And by values, we mean things like one person wants children, one doesn't. One wants to retire, one is building a career. These are the bigger issues of compatibility in your in your lifestyle and your life values. Um, but the dynamics of how you engage with one another, um, that's of critical importance in terms of understanding uh, attachment theory and conflict. So that book's a great resource for that. You know, one of the key issues here that's, uh, again, really helpful to understand with the way conflict occurs in a relationship, and this is probably the most fundamental aspect of it, is that uh in our early experience as children we can become very enmeshed what i mean by that is we become overly uh attached uh or or insecurely attached to our our parents based on their um, lack of attention and neglect or their overattention on us and what that causes us to do is to confuse the inconsistency of the parenting and the nurturing and the attention with who we are, with our internal sort of balance. If you imagine yourself as a cup of water and um, every time your parent gives you attention or doesn't give you attention in a way that's erratic or confusing, it's like taking that glass of water and shaking it and the water becomes very disturbed and and we are at a young age identifying our experience in the world as being that turbulent water as opposed to another person causing that, or the dynamics of the situation causing that, you can't identify that as a young person and so this, uh, this confusion of our ego boundary with our parents and not knowing where we begin and where they end and because you're just a child, you just need to feel secure, causes what's called enmeshment, and we are seeking a, some kind of stable ground, it's almost like we're clutching at, at uh, the edge of the cliff to try and pull our, scramble ourselves up and so that predisposes us to be uh, wired and attracted to, and looking and reenacting that kind of enmeshed we, we, um, attachment, and we confuse that with healthy attachment. And so this is the one thing that's uh, really critical for relationships: is to identify, you know, through whatever means, you know, you can self-explore through therapy, self-education, through couples counseling, through groups, through meditation, whatever it is, but to catch where you are enmeshing, where you are confusing the other person as somehow being linked to you. Because it's really important to remember throughout your relationship, that person is another person. They are a distinct person from you. You're not entitled to, um, to them... Their, to that your expectations being fulfilled instantaneously, to, the, to them having to know what you're feeling and to be able to respond immediately without asking. Those are, very, those are signs of this kind of enmeshed dynamic, which is very childlike and it's appropriate for children because children are supposed to cry out and get their needs met. But as adults, we need to be able to communicate, self-identify what we're feeling and be able to communicate our needs to our partner without the entitlement or the expectation our partner should know. And then we take it personally. We have this sense of outrage that our partner is not getting us. So this is probably the most fundamental thing about conflict in relationships is that sense of entitlement that um, we now own this person. We are now a a conjoined entity and that that person should symbiotically know what our needs are and match them. Or conversely, that we, there's something wrong with us if something's happening with our partner. It's our fault and we're the source of it. So, being able to maintain that separateness is absolutely key to prolonging long-term relationship, and certainly in terms of desire. And I've talked about this in other programs. I reference the work of Esther Perel, who's a relationship, marriage counselor and expert, and she's done a lot of research and a lot of commentary and, and uh, um, online and in her book about coupling long-term and desire and intimacy and how they interplay. And very simply put, what kills long-term relationship and the passion in long-term relationship is intimacy becomes too intertwined, becomes too enmeshed, We become so familiar with our partner that it breeds contempt that we um, we lose the separateness and the otherness which fuels desire and passion and longing for that person like when we're first dating, when there's distance or separation and we... Have to work, and we have the desire and the, and the drive to know that other person is something exotic or other than ourselves. And so that's very much a sign that we become in, in entwined or enmeshed uh, in that relationship. So, to sum up today, uh, as we sort of drawing close to the end of the program here, we're looking about conflict in relationship. And again, a lot of people see that as a sign that you're incompatible. But I want to stress that compatibility is not necessarily just how you get along. Getting along is more a sign of how your attachment styles are different, how you grew up and how you receive communication and and perceive being loved and cared for. And you can look at compatibility more as sort of criteria uh, and and needs in the bigger picture of your life and your ambitions and what's important to you, marriage, family, um, whether you own property or not, Career ambitions, et cetera, et cetera those sort of lifestyle values, but your basic compatibility can very be very driven just by um, identifying and clarifying what's coming up in terms of your attachment style and if you can be aware of this before you get into a relationship, of course you have a huge advantage because by the time you get into a relationship, you're already you know in um in, in an interdependent situation with somebody and you're you have a shared life. It's very difficult to, um, you can feel very threatening to try and question that. So one thing I wanted to bring up before I end the show today is, you know, there's a very common question about, you know, I've heard this come up in my personal life and and, and with the clients that I treat and and just friends and acquaintances. Um, people say, you know, don't overanalyze, don't choke down the process of dating or a relationship or uh, by overanalyzing things. And I think that there's something quite prudent in that, in that, in that you can over-intellectualize and you can over-discuss things and you can certainly distance yourself from being present in the relationship by analyzing the other person or questioning things to the point that you're not actually just letting them flow. And sometimes a fight is uh, valuable because it's bringing out deeper hurt or something that needs to be, come to the surface that cannot be voiced and a fight is a way for it to come out. All that matters is that the issue comes to the surface and you resolve it. And so, yes, overanalyzing can be a way of just not letting that energy surface in a way that perhaps eases the way or um, prevents, you know, destructive energy in the relationship or resentment. But at the same time, I think it's important not to confuse overanalyzing with um, discernment particularly around these issues of attachment style, and using intelligence and using this theoretical information to identify what's going on in your relationship and to work with those dynamics, just like you would anywhere else. You assess the situation, the dynamics at play, and you're able to work with them in a way that depersonalizes what's happening. It's not you're wrong, I'm right, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm wrong, you're right, and we take these things very personally in in, in an injurious kind of way. It's more about we're two individuals, and these dynamics are are in in play based on our backgrounds and we can see them together we can be a team and address this together and come back to that team effort to make the relationship work and that's really the fundamental thing is um the will to make it go forward coming back to what draws you together finding that passion again to be a team and to know the other person which is what intimacy is into me see the desire to be seen the vulnerability aspect. Well, once again, the show has been uh, quite densely packed with information. I hope that uh, it's been of value to you today, as always. Um, I find when I listen to programs like this that I you know, I often go back and uh, digest the information and go back for, for more, and certainly I've given you some resources to explore uh, the work of Esther Perel, Stanley Tatkin's work, um, looking at attachment theory. But Fundamentally, even if you don't do any of that, you can just take the focus off of um, it being whether I like the person or love the person, or I'm likeable or lovable, and really look at um, the way that things are, are, are occurring, the way the conflict arises, and how you resolve it, rather than the issue of who's right or wrong. It's the will to come back to, to address what's happening and find common ground. And to connect once again through intimacy and, and understanding, that's going to determine whether a relationship is going to survive or not. So the fact that conflict has come up early is not the death knell of, a, of an early relationship or even a dating situation in terms of whether you get together. Maybe there are very compatible things there that you see as a, as being very likely a compatible relationships, and then conflict comes up and you say, "Oh well, this is not good. We're we're you know arguing about things early on, and um, if they're not gross differences in values, politically or otherwise, it might just be these uh, issues surfacing about your security in the situation and whether you're feeling seen or heard. And those are things you're going to have to work with in the relationship. So at that point, you can just decide, is this person, do I feel strongly enough about this person? Is there enough else aligned in our compatibility that is going to override whatever conflict comes up. Am I going to want to continue to work this out and to grow through this relationship in a way that's going to be joyful and and fuel, um, you know, um, growth and excitement and passion and love uh, with this other person in my life? Well, my name is Michael Gordon. I've been your host today. Uh, I should mention as well that I am a uh, clinical therapist here in Vancouver, Canada, and I do sessions by Skype, and I also... um, give talks, public talks and workshops uh, on all of these issues and if you're interested in any of those things you can contact me through uh, the homepage here or through the Facebook page um, there's links to my therapy page um, and I do sessions as I said, by online by Skype um, and consultations I'd love to come do the podcast from your town and deliver a talk or do a workshop um, and as always, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program today and if you're listening in, thank you for uh, your participation in making this program successful. This has been the Mind Whisperer on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Michael Gordon. And uh, may this information and uh, my work today be of benefit to you as you go back out into your life, carry on your work day, go home to your spouse or uh, seek a relationship, or just enjoy being on your own. Be well, and we'll see you next time on the show. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.